Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. So the COVID vaccine is coming, Nick. Uh, are vaccine passports going to be ne next? It's uh, shaping up to be a hot topic. I think absolutely, because as soon as the vaccines start happening, people are going to think about, hey, what can I do? Or what can I do if I have a vaccination or not? And do I have a passport? Will I need a passport in order to travel and to go to hockey games, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's been fascinating over the last week, seeing all the movement on the vaccine rollout front. And it's prompted us to be able to start having this conversation about what the future is gonna look like. And I think we are getting a glimpse of what that might be from what's happening right now in Israel and New Zealand. Of course, the scene there uh, in Israel's green doors to freedom, basically, uh, it's only made possible through proof of vaccination. So do you think it's an effective strategy to encourage people to get the job by saying, you know, you need to show that you've gotten it in order to do all of these new normal things? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, we have to tell people to get the vaccination because the greater the number of people that get jabbed, the better it is for everyone. We always hear about herd immunity. But I think what's missing, and I, I don't want to sound like an old person, Smokey the Bear. Remember Smokey the Bear? Do you remember Smokey the Bear? You don't. Okay, anyways. My parents might. 10 seconds on Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear, public service announcement, famous in the 1970s, talked about putting out your, making sure that there weren't forest fires caused by camp, campers and stuff like that. So I think we need some kind of, uh, what do you think? Maybe some type of okay. public service thing? So my generation's version would be the don't you put it in your mouth. So the, the Canadian government version now would be uh, instead of, you know, don't take strange objects from strange people, it's um, make sure you roll up your sleeve. Here are the basics, FYIs, general public information. Uh, it's time to get your shot. Yeah. And you know what? It makes sense, right, Rachel? Because if we're at war, we need a campaign. Yeah, there's got to be a campaign to mobilize. Got to mobilize people. And now's the time to mobilize because we got to bring people together, get them vaccinated, and then fight this pandemic so that we can get all back to normal. So something to keep an eye on, I guess, as the availability of more vaccines are there. I'm sure the government's going to want to start to signal, probably didn't want to do it too soon, saying, hey, go get your shot, except LOL, you can't. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this a bit more and dig deeper into that vaccine passport conversation. It's a really fascinating thing. So stick around for that. Uh, but first, Nick, the budget. We learned this week, it's not going to be in March. It's going to be more than two years that will have gone past since we've had an official federal budget. And you've got some new numbers on who Canadians are trusting right now when it comes to the economy. Oh, exactly. We just uh, we just finished a survey for Bloomberg News and we asked a simple question. Which of the federal parties do you trust to manage federal finances? And uh, the Liberals came out on top at 33%. Conservatives, 24%. Of note, 26% or one out of every four said they don't trust anyone. And if we were to sum this up, if you're a conservative, Rachel, if, if someone happens to support the Conservatives, you're probably clutching your chest thinking, how could the Conservative Party of Canada be behind uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals? And uh, in my experience, you know, the thing is, is when the Conservatives are not strong or not perceived to be strong on managing government finances, it's hard for them to win an election because that's usually part of their core brand. It's, it's kind of like, I guess, Justin Trudeau is eating Aaron O'Toole's lunch when it comes to fiscal responsibility, but still a quarter of Canadians are up for grabs or just turned off because they don't think anybody could do a good job. So this is fascinating to me, Nick, because 
conservatives traditionally are able to own the territory around the economy and they're known as kind of being that's their bread and butter issue. So what does this mean for conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and his party going into this time where the economy is going to be a hot topic? Well, he's got, he's got to get out on this because uh, he's got to build his economic credentials. He's got to put out his plan that is different from the Liberals. And you know what, Rachel, if we go into the, what I'll say, the polling time machine, when I knew that Stephen Harper was in trouble when he was running against Justin Trudeau is when Justin Trudeau started to, was tied with Stephen Harper on managing the economy. You know, like Justin Trudeau, a guy who was not prime minister, didn't have a lot of economic background. And when Stephen Harper's numbers started to slide, when he should be strong, it was an indicator. So if you're a liberal strategist, you might be looking at these numbers thinking, man, if we have a good budget, perhaps we do want an election because, uh, you know, how long will this, how long will this advantage last? And if you're a conservative, you've got to pivot to talking about managing the government finances, what the economic and fiscal plan is for the future. Because uh, right now it looks like uh, the red team has a little bit of an advantage on this one. So I wonder then, thinking about what's been going on on Parliament Hill lately, they seem to be throwing various topics and issues against the wall, trying to figure out what's going to stick, uh, perhaps maybe trying to see if they can get traction on vaccines or China or ethics instead of the economy because of the sentiment that they're getting internally as well. Uh, this in mind, is there still room for them to turn things around? For the Conservatives, 100%, because they're only five points back. That's not a big, uh, they're, still in the, they're still in the game. 100, you know, they're still in the game. They're only five points back of the Liberals. Uh, but I think what the what the Conservatives are trying to do is to disrupt the Liberal narrative. You know, it's hard for them to criticize, like for any opposition party to criticize the government for being generous with stimulus, with trying to buy more vaccines, trying to get, you know, all that stuff. It's something that's hard to criticize because Canadians want support. They need support to get through the pandemic and they want vaccinations. Uh, so what we're seeing is, is a, an opposition party that's looking to pivot to other things. We also have the Kielbergers. Man, you know, last time they were in the news, it was bad news for Justin Trudeau because the liberal, the liberal advantage went from majority to a dead heat. I'm sure the Conservatives want to kind of, uh, you know, put that out there in order to try to disrupt the liberal trend line and to remind some Canadians of, of things that happened in the past that uh, many Canadians were disappointed with. And so the Conservatives have a policy convention coming up next week, and I'm sure that he's going to have his ears to the ground as much as you can on a Zoom conference, hearing <laughs> from the grassroots in the party about where they want to go, what the direction's going to be. Is it going back to his election campaign, true blue Conservative, uh, or is it trying to stake out the government on certain issues? So I think uh, we'll watch this file for the next little while and see uh, where they land and, and which O'Toole we're going to get going forward. Um, but speaking on public opinion, there was something else I wanted to pick your brain on, Nick. Um, we keep having this conversation about how the provinces are doing with COVID, and a lot of that's been on the vaccine. Um, but you've got some new numbers, kind of a report card, state of the, the union across the country. How are the different provinces doing with this pandemic at, at this current point? Well, if you remember, Rachel, when we talked about this last time, and it was in the news on CTV, it was pretty dismal scores. I think the provinces only scored 5.5 out of 10 and the federal government uh, a dismal, we will call it a dismal 4.7. What we've seen now a month later on, I'll call it the tracking report card that we're now doing is that uh, confidence in the provinces uh, and the vaccination rollout has increased from 5.5 to 6.4 out of 10. So that's good. 
confidence in the federal government has, has increased from 4.7 to 5.7. So, so it looks like the trend is, is up and positive. Atlantic Canada still an outlier. And I say that in the most positive, nicest way, because if you're in Atlantic Canada, you're more likely to think that your province is doing a reasonably good job compared to grumpy Canadians in the rest of the country. So it looks like, so the big question is, is 6.4 and 5.7 out of 10 good? Answer, no. It's okay, but it's better than it was. Yeah, uh, grumpy, lockdown, cold <laughs> <laughs> Canadians who haven't seen their friends in a while. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's get into this vaccine passport conversation a bit more. Um, personally, I think it's fascinating and there's a whole ethics conversation to be had as well. Um, but we know now the federal government is actively having these conversations with other countries. Here's a bit from Health Minister Patty Haidu on CTV's question period. We're certainly working on the idea of vaccine passports with our G7 partners. I was on a call with my G7 health minister counterparts just a couple of weeks ago, and that is a very live issue, Evan. Of course, uh, uh, the IATA, the International Association of Transportation, um, is looking at uh, exactly that. What kind of evidence or documents do people have to provide in order to resume international travel? So, Nick, here we're learning that there are active live ongoing conversations with Canada and other countries about what kind of vaccine passport is going to be in place. And, and for everyone listening, this is specifically international travel. This is whether or not you can come into Canada or go to Italy or anywhere else. Um, and so it seems that the federal government is part of these conversations, but the health minister isn't really staking out a position on whether Canada is for this, is going to do one to match. Um, but with other countries coming out and saying they're going to require some sort of proof of vaccination to come visit, what pressure does that put on the federal government? Well, it's going to put significant pressure on the federal government, because especially when you think about at the United States, actually, that's going to be one of the, you know, they're not only our key trading partner, it's the busiest border, and it's the border that Canadians are most likely to, to, to cross. So any discussions with the United States will be critical. And, and why this is so important is because you know, according to the latest survey that we've done, about eight out of every 10 Canadians say that they are definitely or probably going to get vaccinated. I think about 3% have reported they've already received the jab. So just think eight out of every 10 will have the vaccination. Then the question is, if any of them want to go on vacation, if any of them need to travel for work, uh, are we going to, is it going to be more complicated or will be, there will be some kind of system where we cooperate with a lot of our key trading and travel partners in order to uh, give it some co coherence, as opposed to, you know, the last thing we want are kind of horror stories at the border where, you know, people's paperwork are not in place and that we're not synced up with a lot of the key countries that many Canadians travel to. Right, or even, well, why is it fair that I need to show vaccination if I want to go to XYZ country, but anybody could come here I think yeah. part of the hesitation in the federal government having this conversation seems to be they still don't have a lot of vaccines, so they don't want to preempt this and create a have and have not society where uh, our grandparents and elderly people can go to Cancun or wherever, <laughs> well-deserved after the last year. But uh, I think they've, they probably wanted to wait until this is a bit more of an equitable situation. But I do wonder if this is uh, a cat or the mouse situation. Is it should we be showing, hey, look how great your life can be if you get the vaccine and incentivize people? Or does it become a bit of a coercive thing where, um, oh, well, you're making me get the vaccine before I can go back to normal. Is that fair? Do you have any sense of how Canadians feel about, you know, the, I guess the 
is it a mandatory or by de facto what we can and can't do mandatory request? Yeah. Well, the big, the big question will be for those 15% of Canadians who say that they're probably not or definitely not going to take the vaccine, what is it, how do they feel uh, about potentially being outliers um, in, uh, in, in, you know, when it comes to travel and, you know, so it just makes it much more complicated. And then how much, uh, how much is the government willing to accommodate or not accommodate Canadians who, um, who decide not to get vaccinated? You know, the other interesting thing is that, you know, that when we ask Canadians about mandatory vaccinations, there's only a man, there's only a minority that actually believe that vaccinations should be mandatory there. So Canadians would like to get vaccinated, but they're respectful of the views of other people in general. But, you know, I think this is going to be tricky because if, if we need a passport to go someplace else, then how do we, to your point, are there reciprocal privileges allowed to other countries and who are they? Then when it comes to Canadians being safe in Canada, you know, Canadians are going to want, as they start to normalize, to know that if they go to a cultural event, right, a symphony performance, that they're safe, right? Not just respecting the social distancing rules and the guidance from uh, public health authorities, but also who's getting vaccinated. So it's going to be very tricky. I think it's going to be very, very uh, controversial for, for many people. And I guess this kind of brings me to the other side of this. This is a international travel passport, but then we also have the question of what internal domestic vaccine passport criteria are we going to see? And if the vaccine rollout, if any example, we could be seeing a patchwork of rules where the it's different in every province. Um, some provinces have kind of started to have this conversation and say, yes, no, maybe noting there are already certain restrictions on things for people who are vaccinated schools, for example. But I'm wondering how important it's going to be, A, for this to be a united policy across Canada, and B, shouldn't we be having this conversation as a society at this point, if this is going to be a, this is our life going forward? I understand the vaccine rollouts still got a bit of a runway, but uh, I, I think this should be probably the next the next big conversation Canadians are having about what uh, what this new normal looks like. Can I go to a wedding? Can I go to the movies? What do I need to be able to do those things? Oh, absolutely. And you know what, uh, Rachel, I agree with you 100%. We should have been having this conversation last year because we knew it was coming. And you know, the last thing we need is a political hunger games or a pandemic hunger <laughs> games where, you know, like Atlantic Canada, they have the Atlantic Canada bubble, which is great if you're in Atlantic Canada. But if you have family or friends in Atlantic Canada, it's kind of like, oh man, it is, it is complicated to travel to see your friends, colleagues, family, if they happen to live in Atlantic Canada and you're not in that bubble. So the last thing we need are regional bubbles. Uh, so to your point, we need the federal government to step up because the federal government is the natural convener to bring the provinces together on how kind of the vaccination rollout, the rules of engagement uh, pan out across the country because, you know, the last thing we need is an uneven playing field, province to province, workplace to workplace, public place to public place across, across different regions because it, it'll, it'll just make for a mismatch and uh, it won't be good from a public health perspective either if, uh, if there's a lot of differences between what the, what the provinces are doing. Right, and I think it feeds back into that public confidence in the vaccination conversation as well, and people can start to plan out their lives going forward. Okay, so we'll watch this. I think for sure this is gonna be a conversation we have again as things unfold. Um, but there was another aspect I wanted to touch on, and this is again, one of those how are Canadians faring in the pandemic situations and, and how things have gone for them? So we're calling this, I guess, your, your, your positive takeaway, maybe not the main <laughs> takeaway, but, but a little happy tidbit to leave people with. 
the brighter side of polling. Maybe that's what we'll call it. I don't know. Rachel, okay. we're going to have to have a discussion on what we're going to call this. We don't want to call it <laughs> happy minute, but you know, we, uh, and one of the questions that we've been asking Canadians over the last while, we asked them how likely or unlikely uh, they are to miss a major payment. And back in March, uh, uh, quite significant 18% of Canadians said that they were likely or somewhat likely to miss a major payment like rent, mortgage payment, that kind of stuff. That's dropped to 6%. So it looks like the stimulus, uh, the stimulus is helping on that front. And the other, the other piece of good news, the other bright spot has to do with consumer confidence. Uh, where we're seeing consumer confidence return to back to where it was before the pandemic. And, you know, we know from our research that Canadians have been taking anything extra that they have, paying down their debts, putting it in savings. So uh, I think there's a hope now as the vaccinations get rolled out that, that people will be able to do the things that they did before, see their loved ones, engage in cultural activities, shop, all that kind of stuff. Um, hopefully, as the vaccinations are successfully distributed across the country. Right, and we'll keep watching to see if in the coming federal budget, that stimulus and some of those supports keep up, because as we know, it's still going to be a little while before we're out of this. But I agree. I think if our uh, listeners or viewers have any suggestions on what we should kind of brand this little bit, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Nick, um, where can people find you if they want to um, offer their pitches or suggestions on, on how we should bring things going forward? Send me a note on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos. Or if you want some stats, visit the Nanos website at www.nanos.co. Great. And I will also take your pitches for what we should call our bright spot. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rach Aiello. And you can find Trendline on ctvnews.ca, the CTV News YouTube account, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>